Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, and that is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, May 17th, 2023, which is the day after the upfronts were held at the Javits Center in uh, New York City. That would have been Tuesday, May 16th. And this is the annual presentation to the nation's advertisers. Uh, Typically, it's after each of the networks has put together their new fall season, right? Yeah, that's the general gist of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what they do is they gather all the advertisers together in one place and Normally, it's a big celebrity-driven dog and pony show. In fact, ABC, their upfronts are led by Jimmy Kimmel. But again, we're in the middle of the writer's strike right now. So nobody entertaining or nobody entertaining who needs to have a writer to be entertaining is getting on stage. Well, anyway, these upfronts were just held in New York City with the idea of getting all of the advertisers to commit uh, hundreds of millions of dollars up front ahead of the, the new TV season that's being launched in the fall. And Disney was really there mostly to talk up what's going on with streaming, which is a 24-7 operation. So the old rules don't apply. But this being held at the Javits, because, of course, the Javits is the home to New York Comic Con. In fact, this year's New York Comic Con is being held October 12th through the 15th there. And at this year's upfront, Marvel reigns supreme. So did you see the the two pieces of news coming out of the upfront? I don't think I got the right news. I, I saw a uh, ABC mm. releases its writer proof schedule. Yeah. That was a bad piece of news. But um, no, yeah. I, I think I'm missing the headlines that you're talking about. Go ahead. Uh, Of course, we've been waiting for some definitive news as to when season two of Loki drops. And we we now have that date. Uh, It's going to debut on Disney Plus on October 6th. But the big news actually was in regard to Echo, which, of course, is the spinoff from the Hawkeye limited series. And we've been hearing over the past year that's been kind of a challenging shoot, a, a challenging production. So uh, it was kind of intriguing to hear, okay, we finally have a release date for Echo. uh, That's November 29th of this year. But uh, when Kevin Feige went on stage, this is what he said, Aaron. Uh, In Hawkeye, fans were first introduced to Maya Lopez, a character played by Aliqua Cox. She will be returning to get her revenge in Echo, a limited drama from an incredible team of indigenous writers, directors, and cast members. And for a first for us, all episodes will drop on November 29th. Ooh. So that's a different model for Marvel. I, I mean, I don't want to be negative. I so right. don't want to be negative right off the bat, but. The only math that's making sense to me right now is if mm-hmm. if it's one of those things where it's a big swing and a big miss. Mm-hmm. If you drop it all at once, you get bad press for one day. If you stretch it out week over week for eight weeks, man, it's like you're nailing yourself to the cross on that one. That's the only math that I get out of that right now. I have to admit, given, for example, what's going on right now 
with Succession uh, over at HBO and how, you know, every week an episode drops and every Monday people are talking about, you know, what just happened at Succession. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little concerned here. I'm, I mean, again, I want to be wrong. And what's kind of interesting is Marvel certainly isn't behaving, at least on the promotion side of things, like this is a show that they have less faith in. I mean, for example, Aliqua just got asked, uh, you know, via Instagram to the effect of, do you plan on appearing on, at any Comic Cons uh, to hype the show? And it's like, yes, she's going to be at comic La La Luza in Houston on May 27th, tail end of this month, and then Superhero Con in San Antonio, uh, that's July 7th through the 8th, and then finally, I think, Aaron, the Marvel snipers are in a car right now traveling to Ms. Cox Homes because she mentioned that she will also be appearing at San Diego Comic Con on July 22nd. They haven't announced the Comic-Con schedule yet. More to the point... Well, she didn't say that she was going to be appearing on stage necessarily. Maybe she was just going to be going, playing, dress up as a, a little my little pony character or something and just enjoying the show. Well, there we go. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I'm working the math here, however. I look at the schedule and July 22nd is a Saturday. And it's worth noting that last year... When Marvel made its big return to Hall H after sort of sitting, sending a Comic-Con out for D23 and then, of course, the pandemic stuff, uh, they had their big Hall H panel last year on Saturday, July 22nd. So this day is also a Saturday. You know, if you're on the fence about San Diego Comic-Con and you're a Marvel fan, this might tip you over the edge. Also hinted at, but not flat out said at the upfronts this week. Ironheart uh, is going to be debuting on Disney Plus in January of next year, 2024. And then Daredevil Born Again will be rolling out on that streaming service in spring of next year. So, Do you remember but again, a little rem- while ago they were, were kind of pushing back Echo and then there was this little bit of story about, well, maybe something that happens in Daredevil beforehand would help lead into that story better. And that's not happening now. Remember, uh, I always mispronounce his name, so you're going to say it for the last part for me. Vincent D'Onofrio. Thank you. All right. Teamwork. Uh, You know, (laughs) teamwork. Okay. Vincent actually appeared in the the teaser reel that they showed us uh, for Echo at the D23 Expo last year. So there is definitely, you know, he is definitely appearing in both of these projects. Right. Well, he should be. I mean, you know, she had major beef with him, and last we saw him, she had a gun to his head. So, I mean, they they better resolve that somehow. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be a big letdown. One thing thing that I want to ask, uh, Hmm. well, geez, just the the general, you know, listening public, their opinion about this is uh, you got a Bob Iger that's overseeing the entire Disney thing, and he says, hey, Kevin Feige, we need less. We got budgets to worry about, so slow down on the content. Instead of, you know, four mm-hmm. shows, maybe two or three, and instead mm-hmm. of four movies, you know, two or three. And then he said something really stupid like, and we don't need to go back to the well several times with the same character. And it's like, yeah, but Captain America and, and Iron Man and, and the core Avengers are the most popular of all of the comic book sellers. They sell the mm-hmm. most books. What happens when you end up with something like an Echo, which... It's, you know, definitely geared towards a a more specific audience. I hope everybody Mm -hmm. is able to latch on to it and enjoy it. Same with Miss Marvel. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's specific in its culture, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. 
But what mm. happens when you get to these smaller characters and you're like, at some point, you're going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel. And these characters are not bottom of the barrel like Echo and, and Miss Marvel. Mm -hmm. But eventually, if you only visit them twice and then you have to move on, at what point are you like, who the hell is Frogman? <laughs> Do we need a movie about Frogman? We, really, we couldn't have Captain America 6. We needed to go to Frogman. <laughs> well, the way I view it, look, we already know where we're going. We, you right. know, between the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, you know, I mean, we know the path we're headed down. And I, I understand what Mr. Iger is saying. At some point, he's going to go, Spider-Man 5, really, guys, do we need it? And I, I'm yeah. going to be going, yes, yes, we do, as a matter of a fact. Like, that is the top-tier crown jewel. Mm -hmm. Why would you throw that away? I mean, you've, Sony's already milking that cow until dust comes out of the udders. Mm -hmm. Obviously, people can make money off of it. What's your problem with making money off of it? What kind of intrigues me is, are you familiar with the actress Justine Bateman? Oh, absolutely. And she's doing something like with the, actually, I think she was reaching out to talk to other actors about AI and she how was. it will be affecting the industry much sooner than you want and how well, it's going to affect them. I, I am so glad you mentioned that because that there was a Twitter thread toward this effect. Mm -hmm. And she was laying out, it's not a question of where theoretically this industry is headed. You know, again, what's interesting about Justine is that she directs now, she writes, you know, she, mm -hmm. she's very well wired into what's going. And she was talking about where we're headed and one of the reasons why the studio, in fact, that's one of the fears of as to why the Writers Guild strike may hang on for weeks and weeks, if not months and months, because the studios potentially are, you know, this is giant new revenue stream that, that mm -hmm. they're looking to tap into with AI. And so you read through what she was talking about, right? Jim, I'm actually freaking living it. Okay. Uh, when I, I have a sales guy that for radio mm -hmm. commercials and okay. he says, here are the bullet points I need for a commercial. And he gives mm -hmm. me the bullet points and then he right. sends it off to another quote unquote creative company mm -hmm. and he'll get back 10 scripts okay. and five of them will say this script was AI generated. Mm -hmm. And so I'm competing with five living humans and five computers and I have to beat all of them in order to make a dollar that day. So it's it's real. It's been around. I've been dealing with it for the last six months just in <laughs> commercial copywriting. I know. Yeah. In matter of fact, if you want to, uh, if anyone's a Wes Anderson fan, you know, the, mm -hmm. his films oh, are yes, very yes, specific. Yes, yes, yes. There are just a slew of AI generated videos right now where it's like Wes Anderson does Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And it's all the people that, you know, like Owen Wilson is Sauron. Wow. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and then, but they'll do, you know, Wes Anderson does The Matrix, Wes Anderson does Star Wars, Wes Anderson mm -hmm. does. And yep. you, you can see the familiar elements from each one to each one. It's like, okay, I see how it's being reused. But then it's like what they've really dialed in is the color palette of his films. Yes. And the, and the way that the shot is framed and it's very mm -hmm. simple, but it's very symmetrical. And it's very, you know, pretty. And it's like they, they get, okay, this is what the guy does. And then it spits out a, a result at the end that is really damn good looking. It is. It is. But and and what's interesting is Justine actually in her Twitter thread pointed to these things. She's just, yeah. because what she talked about as the example is fascinating. What what she says is lying over the hill. Okay, you're a Star Wars fan. 
and you're sitting at home and you decide you want to see a new Star Wars movie. And so you go to your favorite streaming service and say, I would like to see a new Darth Vader movie, you know, involving these characters. And the AI then goes off and delivers the film you're looking for, you know, with Mm -hmm. the, the personally tailored elements. And then, but on the other hand, if you want to pay a little bit more, and you're willing to put your face and voice into the you can now get the the AI can create a film you can appear in so you can I want to be Luke Skywalker yeah. yes yes and so if you extrapolate that you know the, the notion of I want to be Peter Parker take the you know any one of the Spider-Man movies and put me in I, I would be creating the swinging scenes of Spider-Man through the New York skyline because mm-hmm. those are the moments in the movie where I just I would get goosebumps and I could mm-hmm. feel myself mm-hmm. doing that in my mm-hmm. fantasy world. Right. Those mm-hmm. those really kind of brought the movie to life in the ways that I got super giddy about. So, yeah, I'd be like, make me Spider-Man swinging through New York at sunset during golden hour. And I would like to go mm-hmm. by these specific buildings and landmarks. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm 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 fascinated by that, but it that uh, forgive me, folks. That there's also an aspect of that that doesn't sound necessarily enter- like entertainment to me. That sounds almost masturbatory. I mean, I I you know I like well, to wish give- fulfillment to the fullest extreme. Sure. Yeah. But kind of, I almost want to say that's what VR was meant to do. And I don't think VR really took off in the way, because nobody bought the headsets. You have to buy expensive gear, right? And obviously Facebook tried to get it down to a consumer level cost, and they did a really good job with what they did. They really truly Mm -hmm. did. But not enough people bought into it. And when not enough people buy into it, the programmers, developers, and filmmakers don't dive into it either because Mm -hmm. there's no audience for them. Yeah, And so it just doesn't work. Now this, where you Mm -hmm. can say... I would like, and then insert wish fulfillment statement, mm. and then hit enter, and it's there, mm. I think is is the thing nobody thought was going to happen, but it just happened so fast. The AI mm. learning yeah. went way so very fast that people went, holy shit, this is impressive, mm. really, mm. truly impressive. And then it just took off because of the public interest. The nerds, you know, when the nerds uh, gather and rally around something, it takes off like wildfire in the very same way that pornography launched, you know, VHS. Mm -hmm. It it was a a battle of they adopted and that's where the crowd was. So that's what made the money. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Sorry, folks, we've wandered far afield from Marvel again. But but no, I mean, that. But uh, but again, it's a really interesting time news-wise, and and yeah. uh, toward that end, uh, again, lots more news to come yet, folks. And uh, as always, the news portion of this week's marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. To now sort of pivot back to Marvel, though I, again, I I hate to say this, given you know what people saw. And, and obviously how enthusiastic they've been about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, again, I know you've been traveling this week, so I, I'm going to assume you didn't get to uh, Guardians Volume 3. So we'll, we'll kick the can about talking story about that. But I would love to hear a review. I mean, if, if you got one in the can, I'll take it because <laughs> I've been waiting. Like, I want to talk about it, but I just haven't had a chance. Well, again, I want the two of us to be able to chat. Okay. So to, to, okay. Right. Anyway, from a business point of view, 
Very interesting second weekend at the box office. Business only fell off by 49%, which in the industry, that's called a hold. And that's the best hold for an MCU film in the post-pandemic era. The, the film made uh, in North America, $60.5 million. And that's actually better than the previous two Guardians of the Galaxy films did in their second weekend. They both fell off by 55%. So stateside, ticket sales, $219 million. Overseas, $316 million. So that's a worldwide box office total of $525 million, just 12 days in theaters. Now, put that in perspective, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, released to theaters back on February 17th after 89 days in theaters, that Peyton Reed film, had 218 million in North America, 261 overseas. So that's a, a box office total of 475. That's $50 million less than Guardians Volume 3 current box office total. And while we're throwing numbers around here, I uh, just found out today that Quantum Mania has 2,800 visual effect shots in it. And, and that's one of the reasons why it was called the, the most Star Wars like of the MCU films. Guardians, on the other hand, of Volume 3, has over 3,000 visual effects sites. So um, I mean, well, neither of them are ever shot on Earth. So in that respect, it's not like you can go, hey, let's go over to the forest over there and grab a pickup shot real quick, or let's just jump in a field and do whatever. You know, It's like, hey, we're in the quantum realm. It's got to look kind of trippy and Jack Kirby-like, and you've got a giant amoeba chasing you through uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's... Of course, they're going to have a huge amount of VFX shots. Well, you know, it's so interesting you you, you bring that up because we, we had a mud listener reach out. I apologize. I, I'm, I'm blanking their name. About Nowhere. You know, the fact that the Nowhere set was so prominently featured, well, in the holiday special as well as Volume 3. And the notion was, well, you know, I mean, Guardians has a really big presence in Epcot and right next to where they built the uh, Cosmic Rewind attraction is the empty uh, Wonders of Life uh, pavilion that originally was supposed to be Disney Play pavilion, but that project is off the table. And this listener asked, big empty space, Disney seems really heavy and really invested in nowhere. Why don't they move that in there? Mm. And it's like, wow, that's an interesting idea. I, I will bring that up on the show and see if somebody goes for it. Oh, uh, before we finish up on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, uh, worth noting, just yesterday, it became available for streaming on Disney+. And as we mentioned, I think, on last week's show, you can now purchase physical copies of it. Though I, I didn't see any when I was in Target today, so I, I you know, got to go check They must have the sold out, right? Everybody go. came in a mad rush to get their Ant-Man and Quantumania physical media. It's been, I, I want to see, 12 weeks and change since that movie came out in theaters. And it's worth noting that 30 years ago, we had to wait 10 months, you know, from the time when Disney's Aladdin debuted in theaters in, in November of 1992 to the point where you could finally buy a VHS copy, you know, in, in mm. September of 93. And, and even then... You had to pay twenty nine dollars, you know, ninety nine, which I think covered. That's two months of, of Disney Plus, right? Uh, you know, yeah. so 
it's you know things have changed back in the day i remember batman uh with michael keaton coming mm-hmm. out we owned a, a video store and so right. uh mm-hmm. that vhs copy i want to say was like 120 bucks per oh yeah and we got a discount to where they were like only 80 dollars because we ordered a hundred of them and uh yeah right and and so well, no but the, no no, the, no i mean i'm, I'm laughing because i remember gee, well again if your family owned a video so mm-hmm. you must remember what happened when Star Trek the motion picture came out. It was mm-hmm. the same thing. It was, you know, like $80 a copy. And But there was this fascinating moment in the industry where they aren't buying it at $80. Okay, let's make it 39 And right. then to watch how the prices tumbled to... And I didn't they eventually just settle on like 29 That seemed to be like the sweet spot or... or I, you know, honestly, when that happened, like our, our business model was kind of built around the, mm-hmm. the price of what people were willing to accept. So we would rent Batman like, you know, mm-hmm. 5 million times until mm-hmm. the copy was about ready to fall to pieces. Yep. And then we would sell that mm-hmm. used VHS and mm-hmm. it always landed at a $20 price point. It was like just above a uh, vinyl, you mm-hmm. know, it was CDs were, were just above that. And, mm-hmm. and so it seemed like everybody had this like, yeah, I love music. I love movies. I love whatever, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to pay over like 25 to $30 is like, it's a little bit much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 20 seemed to be the sweet spot. And that's kind of where it landed for a bit. And then the higher definition media came out and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, you have enough money to upgrade from, you know, 1080 to 4K. That means that you've got enough money to pay the premium. And mm-hmm. it was like, we're just going to add an extra 10 bucks on because pixels. So whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I apologize to the younger members of the audience. Yes, we are talking about prehistoric media formats or, or, or that you went to the store. They had to get in the car and physically drive to a place to get to get something to watch. As, as home entertainment, it's just, God, it's... And it's if you didn't a, bring it back, we'd charge you by the day an extra nickel like the library. There you go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we were just talking about how well Guardians is doing at the box office. Sony Pictures Animation, given what's going on with Guardians, has very high hopes for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, by the way, on the day this podcast drops, we will be two weeks out from the release of this uh, Sony Pictures animation, the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And current tracking suggests that this film will pull in uh, between 7 and $80 million in North America alone. And that's double what the original animated Spider-Man made back in December of 2018. That one over its opening weekend pulled in $35 million. And Sony's not the only one looking to cash in on Spidey. Just this week, Disney announced that the company's arena show for preschoolers, Disney Junior Live on Tour Costume Palooza, will launch in September 1st this year and begin a 60-city tour around North America. And the cast of the show, Aaron, includes Disney Junior favorites like, of course, Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy. But for the first time ever, characters from Marvel's Spidey and his amazing friends. You know, again, Disney really getting into that cradle to grave thing. Oh, I was going to say just uh, September uh, 1st of this year for the the launch of that. Mm-hmm. Sony is really kind of maximizing because they've also got the uh, Spider-Man 2 video game for PlayStation 5 ready to come out. They only say fall of 2023. Mm-hmm. 
But you know darn well that there's that it's going to have a Miles Morales Spider-Man and a Peter Parker, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was many animated versions like a Spider-Man 2099, you know, because they, they reskin the characters real easy <laughs> to do. But if you've got, you know, across the Spider-Verse comes mm-hmm. out and you've got a thousand different mm-hmm. spider characters, mm-hmm. imagine how they can pack the game with different skins and make them collectibles like trading cards. Again, it's such an interesting time in regard to where Spidey is turning up, though. Yeah. Here's kind of an interesting bend on the story, though. Universal Studios Japan just announced that it's going to be shutting down its amazing Spider-Man ride January 22nd of 2024. And that will be exactly 20 years after this attraction opened at that theme park. And legal question. There we go. Okay. If that closes there. Mm -hmm. So like the, there was the, the Disney universal contract is the thing that we're going to have to try and reference to now. Mm -hmm. And if the thing shuts down, are they able mm-hmm. to build a new Marvel thing and keep their rights active? If it's shut down, do they get a chance to rebuild or is it gone forever? And as soon as Universal shuts down their stuff, then Disney can take it back. Or does none of it matter? No, a lot to <laughs> unpack there. Okay. Lots of folks in the theme park world are fascinated by this uh, announcement. Because uh, first of all, again, after 20 years, they're shutting down the attraction. And typically uh-huh. the way the these right situations work mm-hmm. is you rich, initially have uh, a 10-year access to the rights, and then you have two five-year renewals. Okay. And so it's like, okay, so it looks like they've run through that. But it's, again, the original Amazing Spider-Man opened at Islands of Adventure back in May of 99. And, you know, it just had a friend at Universal point out that, hey, we just opened a new Marvel-themed, like, snow cone boot. So ah, we, <laughs> we still have the rights. We're not giving them up, pal. You know, but it's just sort of the notion of, okay, so the secondary deal, Disney didn't allow them to renew. So that got shut down. This theme park, just like Universal Studios Florida and California, had a Terminator 2 3D Battle Across Time ride that they've also announced is now closed forever. And especially fascinating if you you know the layout of Universal Studios Japan. These are in the southeastern corner of the park. There's a souvenir store that basically connects these two. But with these two shutting down, it opens a giant piece of real estate in the New York section of this park. And so it's like, okay, what's going in there? What do they have the rights to? You know, are they going to use, I mean, these days Universal really, really leans into its own IP. In fact, just today they dropped news about the, the, the work that's being done at Universal Studios Florida across from Despicable Me, uh, Minion Mayhem, that, that they're going to open a, a whole Minion land with restaurants and meet and greets and, and the like, but that opens this summer. So it's like, okay, so what's going into the New York section of Universal Studios Japan? And, and more to the point, what's the ripple effect of them losing the rights to Spidey in uh, Japan? And, and is right. this going to come back stateside? So you bring up lots of interesting questions, which I'm trying to get answers to. Okay. So we'll bring that up. On, I'll, I'll make some calls. I'll check stuff out. We'll, we'll get back to you folks. Uh, other news? 
We were talking about Captain America, New World Order last week, largely uh, in regard to rumors that they're looking at a new title for that. But there's been some photos coming off the set. So we got to see Anthony Mackie, who, of course, plays Sam Wilson, the new Captain America. We got to see him in his new cap outfit. Likewise, Danny Ramirez, who you may remember, uh, he played the Joaquin Torres character in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the limited series. He's the one who's going to be the next Falcon. We got to see him on the set and someone who will be showing up on a set very soon. Chuatel Edge EO4, who you probably remember played Carl Mordor in uh, the original Doctor Strange, as well as its sequel, Multiverse of Madness. He's just been cast in Venom 3. Brand new character, and this will be for the Spunk, the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. Still sounds like something you got to scrape off the bottom of your shoe. Good job, Sony, go. with the acronym department. But again, that that's Kelly Marcel uh, directing a script that she wrote, so we'll have to wait for some word about who uh, Chuatel Edge is actually playing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, speaking of casting, uh, have you been paying attention to... What our friend Mr. Gunn uh, has been doing over at DC Movies in regard to the Superman Legacy Project? Yeah, I've seen a couple of names bandied about as possible Lois Lanes, but I don't Mm -hmm. know how much weight to put into any of that. Considering how the whole Fantastic Four thing went, I don't trust Uh, anybody with casting news anymore. Supposedly, they've done physical auditions. In fact, supposedly the last set of tests were submitted on May 4th. So we're, we're almost two weeks out from when these tests were done. And to be a fly on the wall, I, evidently, James has been going around the world, you know, sort of finishing up his responsibility with Marvel Studios. But during that time, he's been getting these tests. You gotta wonder, you're outselling Guardians Volume 3, and, but at the same time, you you have your test for actors coming in for Superman Legacy. And it's mm-hmm. like, do you think it, Chris Pratt got to look in on any of this stuff? or, or? No, I, th- I think James, I mean, he makes friends with his cast and they all mm-hmm. get along very well on set. But I mm-hmm. think this is business. And, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of have to draw a little tiny line in the sand and be, mm-hmm. play your cards really close to your vest. Because if you're just talking to your friends, mm-hmm. hey, man, here's I mean. They can't even get a script on set that's not like in different colored pages. So it's you can't photocopy it and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think at this point in the process, James is telling anybody anything. I bet he's teasing the heck out of him. Hey, Chris, you wouldn't believe the package I got today. You wouldn't believe who it's from. And it looks fantastic. I mean, my dream Superman could very well be this guy. And oh, by the way, it's not you. You didn't send me a package, did you? No? Okay, good. Uh, so that's not uh, embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> One little bit of info that has leaked out that the, the casting sheet info has gone out to, you know, obviously you know, various agents and various talent uh, firms around the, the town. But there is a part that people are auditioning for in this packet called Apex. For those of you who aren't big Superman fans, there is an Apex Lex Luthor, uh, who is the the version of, you know, uh, that classic, you know, long-running Superman villain who's actually strong enough to fight Superman. So the fact that, you know, they're casting for an Apex, a lot of folks are like, oh, 
So that's the Lex we're going to get this time around. Now you got to say it together. Mm-hmm. Apex Lex. Apex Lex. Oh. No, that doesn't sound ridiculous at all. <laughs> I am Apex Lex. Rex. <laughs> Dex. All right. Jex. Uh, all right. Okay. Speaking of casting, on last week's show, we, we talked a, a bit about the history of the casting of the original Iron Man. Turns out there's a couple more s- stories behind that, and also some info to share about how modern MCU films are cast. But first, this. Aaron and I were just comparing notes about what we're reading behind the scenes right now, and I'm not happy about what you're reading. I, I, that's kind of disturbing news. Do you want to share with the class? See, I'm follow Spider-Man. That's usually what pops up in my news feed. Mm-hmm. So I find it surprising that the headline mm-hmm. is that they're going to kill off Miss Marvel in an amazing Spider-Man comic. I would think if they're going to make the girl into a sacrificial lamb, they'd do it in her own book. Mm-hmm. But I would also be more worried about, does this foretell anything for our poor dear Amon Vellani? Mm. No, please no. It's okay. too soon. She's too young. She's just a child. How dare you, cruel, cruel world. Yeah. and, and... Stella! I'm sorry. <laughs> I, went, I went the wrong direction there. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. I just... Wow, that's an interesting way for Marvel Comics to be going out ahead of uh, the Marvels dropping in November. And right? Yeah, that's weird. Okay, but it's it gets it gets her in the news, mm-hmm. and as we know, sometimes superheroes come back after they die, and some have done it four, five, six times. I know Spidey's been in his own grave a good nine or ten times. Reboot, reboot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have to admit, I'm looking at the cover art for that one, and that is a little concerning. I, on the other hand, I am reading Tom Hanks's The Making of Another Motion Picture Masterpiece. Uh, This came out from Nalkanoff back on May 9th. And it's actually sort of this wonderful, you know, only somebody who has made as many movies as Tom Hanks has made. Uh, It takes you behind the scenes on, well, this is why I bring it up, a comic book movie. Oh, please let it be Cavalier and Clay. <laughs> have you ever have, have you ever read The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay? I know the name. It, it's uh, by Michael Chabon. It was a Pulitzer-winning book. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's about uh, a Jewish kid who escapes uh, World War II, comes mm-hmm. to America, lives with his cousin. So that's mm-hmm. Cavalier and, okay. and cousin Clay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the story takes place where he ends up kind of getting into comic book writing. Mm-hmm. And like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee show up in the story. Um, so it's it's mixed mm-hmm. with our reality just enough where you can factually go, wait a minute, did this really happen? But the end of the story, like uh, there's there's the things that happen throughout their lives and mm-hmm. the things they discover about themselves. But I wept like a baby for mm-hmm. hours at mm-hmm. the end of that book. It was so like touching and moving and just it really changes you as a person when you get done reading it. Then it's about the comic book industry, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's magical. Wow. If we have comic book movies that's not a superhero, I would love for that to be adapted one day. It needs to be on a screen somehow because it's a beautiful story. I know I, I, people have enthused to me previous about it. And, and in fact, I I want to say I did see it at one point somebody had snagged the film rights, but it 
Again. Oh, I got to look that up. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, speaking of, of Mr. Hanks's book, The Making of Another mm-hmm. Motion Figure Masterpiece, I, again, I, the names are changed and, you know, the films are changed, but it's only somebody who's been on as many, you know, film sets and, and high profile projects and effects films as Tom has could could write this. And, and, and again, it's just it's a fascinating window into how one does a comic book movie these days, especially given the high stakes, you know, how, how studios now rely on these films so much for their bottom line. And did you see the Elle Fanning story just this past week, uh, the one she shared on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast? Huzzah to Elle for uh, her work on The Great. Yeah. And uh, I I would say she doesn't need another job except to be Catherine the Great for the next, like, I don't know, 10 more seasons at least. Well, until then, no more work for you. Just that. (laughs) But here's the thing, you know, that, that, uh, interesting question. Why somebody who has a project like that, that she's so acclaimed for working on, you know, why she would even be interested in, in a comic book movie or a franchise film. And she flat out said, look, I would never say no to those things. I would have a meeting and really talk to see what, what it was. But you need a balance in your career. And if you mm-hmm. want to do your indie work, uh, especially for producing, if you have a big franchise, that make, does make you breathe better. You know, you, 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 know, you, you know you have some cash flow. So you, you can do the stuff you love, the stuff you really want to do if you've got mm-hmm. a franchise film. Now, on the other hand, she says, I did try out for, I'm not going to say what it was, but I didn't get a part once for something big because it might have not been just this reason, but this was the feedback that I heard, that I didn't have enough Instagram followers at the time. It was for a bigger thing. It was for a franchise thing. She is discreet. She didn't talk about what it was for, but it was it was a Marvel, a Star Wars, or or the like And I think that's fascinating that that goes into the math because what's interesting is right now, Elle has, and again, I don't know how many of these she acquired after The Great began airing, but she has 7 million Instagram followers. I'm going to throw a word at you, Jim. Ready? Yep. Here it comes. Mm -hmm. Moneyball. (laughs) Right? Okay. Looking at numbers, Mm -hmm. you got to figure out, is this a profitable person? If we make this the little starlet... How many people will we be able to influence? Give me a number, Bob. Seven million. Seven million. That's it. Hey, I was kind of hoping for 10 to 15. Who do we got in the 10 to 15 range, Nancy? Let's see here. Scarlett Johansson's at 30. Now I can't afford her next. Right. That's the conversation. A couple of shows back, we were talking about the casting on the original Iron Man and how Sam Rockwell appeared to have a lock on the role of Tony Stark until Robert Downey Jr.'s audition came in. And John Favreau mm-hmm. was like, that's the guy. I mean, you know, just that he's, he's got the humor, he's damaged. This is what I want for Tony Stark. But as it turns out, Sam and Robert were only in the running after, because the studio, look, just as you just said, you know, studio wanted a star. Mm-hmm. And so the initial, and it's just, it's fascinating who this had originally got offered to. The studio settled on a, an actor that they, they were really excited about, and that was Clive Owen. And, and this story came from Kevin Feige. Feige said he passed. He was not interested. 
So they turned then and offered the role to Tom Cruise, uh, who also turned it down. And uh, Tom has since talked about why he passed on the role. Oh, what did he tell Drew Taylor specifically? Go ahead. <laughs> you know, someday soon we may actually be able to do this. Okay. But in this interview, he said, as it was lining up, it just didn't feel to me like it was going to work. I, I, I need to be able to make decisions and make the film as great as it can be. And it it just didn't go down that road that way. So uh, evidently, you know, uh, Mr. Cruz didn't have the control that he wanted, though. Do you remember when Multiverse of Madness was putting together its, you know, its celebrity heavy council, you know, when they brought back yep. Patrick Stewart and, you know, uh, John Krasinski and that sort of thing. Yep. Do you remember for like 15 minutes they were talking about Tom Cruise's Iron Man, uh, a multiverse Iron Man? I actually spread false news where someone had uh, like shopped him in or something. It was very, very fake, mm -hmm. but uh, it looked really good. Mm -hmm. And I was excited about the idea of Tom Cruise doing that because when the dude is funny, he is incredibly funny. Like his character in Tropic Thunder, Les there Grossman. There we go. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I, like it, I was just like, I, I hate you, Tom Cruise, for your uh, talent. Um, you're, you're usually, you know, action star, but you got comedy chops. You can sing, you can dance, mm -hmm. you do it all, you son of a bitch. Um, he's really good. Mm -hmm. And so to have him jump in as Tony Stark and, and you know, I, I think he could do something really unique that obviously Robert Downey Jr. didn't bring to that role just to make it his own. He's going to want it to be nothing like what Robert did. You know, I want to be my version of Tony Stark. This is what you would have gotten if I would have taken that movie. And you all would have wished I would have done it. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, th I think he would have done great. Too bad he didn't. Well, but the thing is, again, it's the studio. Because remember, this is before... Disney has acquired Marvel. So this is Paramount and Marvel Studios. So Marvel Studios is working its list. It's like, well, what other big star could we take this to? So they take it to Leonardo DiCaprio, and he turns it down. He had too many girls to date at the time. <laughs> His calendar was booked. Okay. Models left and right. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, uh, <laughs> they take it to Nicolas Cage, who... Jeez, that's killing me. Go ahead. Well, but think about it. This is during that same window of time when he was considered for the Scarecrow in the Batman series. Uh, likewise, right. they talked about him being the Green Goblin in uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And, yep. you know, we all know about the Tim Burton Superman project. And he did eventually play a, a, a Marvel superhero. We, we got him as Ghost Rider. Who knows? I mean, he might end up coming back for Secret Wars if they do that whole, I, you know. That's it, exactly. They got to do that Avengers lineup like they did before. Real quick about Tom Cruise, yep. uh, to, to back that up real quick. Yep. There's got to be a discussion, you know, where they've like, hey, we want to uh, have Tom Cruise do this. And he's he really wants control. And that's not how we play ball because, you know, it's our property. And we got to make sure that we do what's right for us. Marvel, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But there's got to be someone in that room. And he's like, but Kevin, he jumped a motorcycle off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. We'll put that one down on the board. Uh, also, uh, that whole Burj Dubai thing. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, two for Tom, yeah. two for Tom. And they just run down the things that he's done. It's like, are you sure you don't want to give up just a little bit of creative just to have this? I mean, because he is passionate and he wants to make the best movie in the world. Mm -hmm. 
So you know he's not going to stop until he feels he's got it. And so far, his track record is, you know, almost as good as Marvel's. That could be a really great partnership if they would just be willing to give a skosh. And they could just be a side thing that's not really connected right away and just see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would like to see it. Go ahead. But again, they work their list. And in fact, one of the more intriguing folks that they went to was Hugh Jackman. And this says a lot about Hugh that they think, well, no, I I do Wolverine. Yeah, this would be a fun character, but I'm already with the X-Men. I'm already over at Fox. I don't think I want to do two of these. Yeah, that would have been crazy. That would have caused confusion, I think, for the, the audience. So it's Robert Downey Jr. by default. You know, after Clive right. Owen, after Tom Cruise, Nicolas Cage, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Hugh Jackman turned down the part. And even then, it's it's only after Sam Rockwell seems to have the inside track. And, and you know, but Robert comes in with that amazing uh, audition, <laughs> though... We should also mention that one other person is known to have tried out for this part, and that is Deadwood and Justified star Timothy Oliphant. Uh-oh. Don't tell my wife. Okay, but, but here's the thing. <laughs> he revealed in 2015 that he also auditioned for Iron Man. In fact, he, he went on to specifically say, a wonderful actor, Robert Downey Jr. and I, screen tested on the exact same day. And I'm still waiting to hear back. <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, these superhero movies are huge. That could be a real game changer for me. So I, yeah. who's going to break? Good luck, Oliphant. There we yeah. go. No, he's, he's good. He's a lot of fun. I enjoy him a lot, too. Yeah. So I think that's the last of our Iron Man casting stories. So I, I've been proven wrong before. So seriously, if you, you want to get a, a sense of what it's like to take part in these sort of uh, casting sessions for a high-profile comic book movie, I, I highly recommend picking up a copy of Tom Hanks's The Making of Another Major Motion Picture. They, In fact, if the section he's talking about in this book isn't our Scarlett Johansson, I want to know who this is because so much of it seems to parallel Scarlett's role in the MCU and, and that sort of thing. But anyway, check that book out. And, and speaking of checking things out, what is going on with 32nd Street this week, Garen? We finally get to release our subliminal advertising episode. So we uh, cover the Ice Cube things, and then we talk about uh, backwards masking of audio. That's Zilla. That's Zilla, said the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Paul wasn't dead, by the way. No. But uh, yeah, people believe you uh, can play something backwards and hypnotize people into doing things where I'm speaking plain English and frontward style and I can't get someone to pass me the pepper. But uh, yeah, say it backwards and I'm sure I'll get the pepper much faster. Anyway, that's all uh, I think a crock. We'll discuss why mm-hmm. on this coming uh, 32nd Street podcast. Oh, I had a, also had a retraction. Super last minute. I totally forgot about mm-hmm. it. I made a joke last week about the uh, Avengers uh, or how the cast of Lord of the Rings got tattoos to celebrate and Avengers are only on a chat. Mm-hmm. Turns out they all got tattoos. So I, I was wrong. Yeah, I was just making a joke, but I, I was wrong in the joke. So okay. I had I had to make a correction. And so I have done it. I have upheld my part of the bargain listener. Thank you for pointing it out, by the way. Go ahead. There we go. Okay. And um, always enjoy following on social media and you're still on the Twitters, right? Still on the Twitters. It, so, it sounds like I had tacos, mm-hmm. and I'm still on the Twitters. Okay. <clears throat> and 
If you want to find me, just uh, turn the fan on and uh, type in at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Light a match. Got it. Got it. I'm on the Twitters. Uh, you're on Woo-hoo. the Twitters. Okay. Well, we are also still on the Twitters, also on Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Uh, likewise on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, while we're doing plugs here, I guess I should mention we, we do have a couple of other uh, podcasts here. We have, of course, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Uh, likewise, we have fine-tuning that I do with Drew Taylor, who uh, we were just talking about Mr. Cruz and his Mission Impossible movie and, and the new trailer that just dropped uh, for Dead Reckoning Part 1. And I I believe Drew and Charles Hood are going to go to town on that in the next edition of their podcast, Light the Fuse. And uh, sometime in the next couple of days, Brian Gaughan and I will make another run at a looking at Lucasfilm and lots of Star Wars related news also coming out of the upfronts. Uh, let's see, beyond that, uh, if you could all do Aaron and I a favor, if you get over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, again, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street, uh, that would be helpful. And speaking of help, if you really, really, really like what you hear here tonight, uh, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be terrific. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So uh, thank you on behalf of Mr. Adams and myself uh, for listening to Marvelous Disney, and we will be back soon.